0: Amen. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, we did a comprehensive study last week study of chapter 14 in Paul's epistle to the Romans. And the central idea in this chapter really focused on the social responsibility of believers within the body of Christ. And in this discussion of this matter, Paul sent around what he labels that the stronger Christian, the more mature Christian, and the weak Christian, those who are obviously less mature in the faith, and their approach to facets of life, things of life that aren't exactly outlined in the scriptures and how they're going to approach those, the principles that are not exactly clear in scripture, not sinful, but aren't exactly clear. Things like dietary laws or days of religious observance when he was dealing with the Jewish people. And the guideline that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays out is that each group, strong or weak should or should not Distinct admonitions the first one is that whether you take or not partake whether you are the mature Christian or the weaker Christian we shouldn't judge one another based on the other person's conviction or conscience and at this time again he was addressing those certain things like dietary laws or days of religious observances that people felt that some days were more they were more obliged to observe those days than others. And he said those things are, are not clearly outlined now that we have freedom in Christ, but based on a person's conviction we should partake or not partake. And the second admonition really geared more to the mature Christian in the sense that for the sake of the less mature brother or sister, the strong believer should refrain the conviction or conscience of the less mature believer. And what we have to do, what, if we, sorry, And if what we do as a more mature Christian will cause another brother to stumble, then we should absolutely refrain or abstain for the sake of our love of Christ, our love for one another, and as a witness to the losses. they see the love that we have one for another. What did Jesus say? They will know you're my disciples by what? The love you have one for another. Now on the heels of this concern, Paul will actually go on into chapter 15, And continue that thought as he expounds on on this premise that by doing these things, we're in fact, look, emulating Christ, pleasing other believers, and maintaining unity within the body of Christ. Amen? So with that said, please turn to Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. Romans 15, 1 and 2. And it says, We who are strong, those whose convictions allow them The freedom they have in Christ, those are the strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And again, these failings are not any kind of sin, but are areas where there are no clear guidelines in Scripture. And here's the result. We're not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good. Paul, so not to exclude his own teaching, says we. He's talking to the entire body of Christ. We. We who are strong, mature, ought to bear with the feelings of the weak, and not please ourselves. And this goes right along with our previous study in that as the more mature or stronger Christian, we are to refrain, abstain again from something that we have the freedom to do in Christ, but we know that it could cause another brother or sister to stumble in their walk. And last week I used the example of alcohol. Yes, There's nothing clear in Scripture that says you can't have a glass of wine or a beer. But if it's going to create a stumbling block in another believer, then refrain or abstain from doing it for their sake so that they don't slip and fall. Amen? It's a matter of acting more mature, if you will. All right? And listen, this word ought in the original language has the basic meaning of owing a debt or having a strong obligation to fulfill. So in 1 John 4.11, when the apostle writes this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's not implying that we should love one another. He's saying you ought to. It's a command that we're to love one another. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans also. It's not an option, but we ought to bear the weaknesses of our brother. And the word bear in the original language refers to picking up or carrying a burden. So when we bear the feelings of the weak, we're not just called to tolerate them with spiritual snootiness, if you will, but we look to carry them. We help the weaker brother carry that load. And not to be critical or condescending, but instead respect their convictions of conscience. And so again, refrain or abstain from things that might cause them to fall or stumble. And the rubber really meets the road at the end of verse 1 and into verse 2, where it states this. We are not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. And what Paul is commanding here is the proper use of our Christian liberties, that the more mature Christian appreciates, because of their freedom in Christ, these are times when we really do exercise that agape, that sacrificial love, and that we are willing to sacrifice and not please ourselves so that another brother or sister is not affected by it. And what I have down here is this. It's in those times that we act as the bigger man or woman in the situation. Oh, well, you know, I'm allowed to do this, so I'm going to do it. I don't care. And we start doing one of those. No. We act as the bigger person and we respect the weaker Christian might not doing certain things all right and listen carefully when the apostle states each of us ought to take this approach he is stating here that there are no exceptions including the apostle Paul right listen and he could have what used his authority to justify his behaviors but he didn't so when he goes into Jerusalem it's Acts chapter 21 when he enters into Jerusalem and he's going into the temple what does he do he purifies himself. Now, his freedom in Christ would allow him not to do that, but for the sake of his brethren, he purifies himself as he goes into the temple so that he will be accepted by the Jews there. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 9 19 to 22. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. And if we really look, God's law, if we looked in James, is to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what he's saying. He's not free from that. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. So did he have to purify himself in Christ going into the temple? No, but he does because he wants to look to win the Jews to Christ. So he does it. He does it. Amen. Paul understood his liberties, his freedom in Christ, but the salvation of souls or the edification of the believers was much more important to him than him exercising his liberties and freedoms, even though he knew he had them. And Paul, was, and Paul was only following his example. And who's his example? Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It says, he gives a challenge to us as believers. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Is there anybody we know of that gave up more than Jesus Christ to please? I don't think so. Look at Romans 15.3. It says this. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Family, this is a very profound statement. Because as we break it down, we must understand to the level we can the enormity of what Jesus did. Do you realize this is God who left the glories of heaven and clothed himself in flesh and made himself a servant, a doulos to humankind, the creator became a a servant. Again, I, you probably see this every, the last five weeks. Philippians 2, 6 to 8, it says this about our Lord, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. It's that word, doulos, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's what Jesus did. God the Son went through all. Read the Gospels, went through all that. Jesus, fully God, did not take advantage of position, but he came willingly to complete the work of salvation, to complete the will of the Father. Look at John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18. Listen to what it says, and it gives us good insight into this. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up. So Jesus says, I come. I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to take it up again. But, but, listen to John 4.34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Three times the Lord hits the ground. It says that sweat came out like blood. Blood came out like sweat from drops from his head, and he cries out, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Could you imagine that moment when the Son of God realized the passion that he had to go through, and yet He stands as flesh wrestling against the spirit, not my will, but your will, not my will, but your will, because he came to do the will of the Father. Amen? And when Paul writes the statement about Christ, the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen to me, he's bringing out the point that Jesus and the Father are one. He's the second person of Godhead, and Jesus took all the insults, all the mocking, all the disbelief and denial upon himself because people were rejecting the Father's plan of salvation. So him and the Father in such unison, he says that I'm taking the insults upon me that they were insulting you, Father, because they're rejecting your plan of salvation and in doing so they're rejecting me. So he took all the insults of men. So here's the thing. If Jesus wanted to please himself instead of doing his Father's will Do you think he would have divested himself of all his glory, became a servant, and went the way of Calvary? I think not. That's not a way someone pleases himself by going to the cross of Calvary. And in a selfless act, an understatement, it would not only please the Father, but it would be a benefit to all those who would believe by faith and have eternal life. So Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And what's his example? The one who divested himself of everything to become a servant and go the cross of Calvary. Was he looking to please himself? No. So when Paul says, please others as yourself, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Be like Christ. So family, here comes the application. We are in Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit and are now empowered to overcome our own desires, our own pleasures, if you will, and we can refrain from the liberties that we have in christ so as to build up or edify another believer amen i'm sorry i have a little adhd and that horn's driving me nuts <laughs> what horn right so listen <clears throat> and why do we choose to do this is because we all should desire to follow christ's example and please our heavenly father And in doing so, what happens? We maintain the unity in the body of Christ. We help to build up another one of his children, and we bring glory and honor to him. What could be better? Amen? So let's go on now and see that another principle is submission to the word of God, submission to the scriptures. Look at Romans 15.4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And what is the apostle alluding to here? Is that we can mutually edify each other through the knowledge of the word of God. Hmm. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this. All scripture is God-breed, is useful for teaching. How are we going to know what the word wants if we're not taught, if we don't read, if we don't expound on it? Rebuking. What's wrong? Well, this is incorrect according to the word of God. And this is the right. That's why we teach. So what does it say? Correcting. Now, this is what the word of God says. This is the way we're supposed to walk as, as Christians. And training in righteousness so that we, the servants of God, could be equipped for every good work. So we go to the scriptures to understand who God is and what he desires of us, right? And I love this portion of Romans and what it says here in Timothy because, listen to me carefully, it refutes those who claim that there is no need to study the Old Testament. Au contraire, mes amis. Because 1 Corinthians 10:11 states this. These things happened to them. To who? To the Israelites. As examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages come. So let me ask you, How are we supposed to know the plan of salvation? We go back to the old covenant and we read it and we see God's progressive revelation of the Christ and what he was to accomplish. We go back to the Old Testament. I shared this in Sunday school. David is one of my favorite characters because I never want to experience what that man experienced because of a few minutes of lust. So we go back and we look at the Bible characters, good and bad. Look at Joseph's life. He always referred to God, his faith in God. He went through a lot. His brothers sell him, throw him in a pit, put him in a, he goes to Potiphar's house, accused of rape, thrown in a dungeon. He went through a lot. Was, I think it was over 17 years he went through all these things before he's delivered. But we look at the faith of someone like Joseph. We look at a Ruth. We look at these Bible characters. So we have the scriptures to encourage each other with. We can go to the word of God and say, yeah, Ron, Ron lost his dog this week, so everybody show him a little comfort. He'll stick closer than a brother. Christ was right there with you when that vet made that last call. You hear me? He sticks. We can stand on his promises. Okay. We have the scriptures, and we can build each other up through the scriptures. You have to understand, uh, in the first century, there, they only had the Old Testament scriptures, and they built on them through the words of the apostles as they were written down. So we can build each other up and we can get to know God and what he desires of us. And in doing so, Romans 15, 4 tells us, so we can endure, persevere as we battle our flesh, the world system, and the evil one. And what turns out to be we hold on to our hope. And that hope is the assured expectation of our salvation. What the promises of the word say are absolutely true and we can hold on to every one of them. And that's why we come to know the scriptures and edify each other and build each other up with them. How many times in scriptures are we called to encourage each other? Look it up. And one of the favorite ones I have down here. Paul goes through 1 Thessalonians 4 and he goes through the hope of the rapture, right? And what does he say at the end of it? Encourage each other with these things. We should be encouraged through the word of God. There's going to come a point. When the rapture will happen. If we're still alive, praise the Lord. We go up. If we're not, guess what? Phwoop! Resurrected bodies and we're with the Lord in glory. It's the truth. We should encourage each other with these things. Oh, look what's going on in the world. Every time I open a news day today and I have a thing about adoption, two guys, two girls. The world, that's the world. That's what the, how they're going to walk, talk, do. But as uh, we learned at Sunday school last week, we don't look at them obstinately. They're captives. They're captives to their sin nature, to the evil one. No, that's the way the world is going to be. So as we walk through the world, we try to be a light. But guess what? Look to your hope. Look to your hope every day. We should be excited. We belong to Christ. When a family member goes, passes on, and we're left here to mourn, and we can say, thank God they're in your presence. What a hope. We'll see them again. And they're not going to look old, old. Oxygen tank, they're going to be revitalized in glorified bodies. Amen? Praise God. We have a hope. So we're called to encourage each other. Family, and understanding of the scriptures for application and assurance are vital to our relationship with the Lord and our relationship to each other. When the men get together on a Tuesday night, when the ladies get together, when we go out to lunch, we build each other up. How? Through the hope that we have in Christ and the Word of God. That's what we do. We build each other up. We don't tear each other down. Family, as we go on now, look at verse 5. It states, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Family, and here lies the wisdom of how to do all that we discussed. It's, we can do all things through what? Through Christ who gives us strength. We can do all things through him. It's because of His grace we've been saved. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit we can endure. It's through the exposition and application of Scripture that we mature. And it's by divine grace that we can have the same attitude as Christ Jesus towards the Father and towards each other. Amen? You guys awake out there? Oh, praise the Lord. All right, look. Again, I'm going back to Philippians 2. Love it. 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete and be like-minded. Be like Christ. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Now he's talking to believers. Be one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but to the interests of others. You know what that is, in a nutshell? Agape, sacrificial love, that we have one for another. Amen? And the result of this is actually found in verse 6, in that by doing these things, it will bring glory and honor to God. Verse 6, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ family looking to the interest of others, overlooking the trivial things that are not found in scriptures, living according to the scriptures, what they do teach, bring harmony within the uni- and unity within the body of honor to God. Amen? And now Paul will continue with this idea in that when we overlook the silent scriptural differences, it will not only help us edify each other, but it allows us to glorify him and promote this unity. So now let's look at this idea of unity in the church from the Lord's perspective, all right? From the Lord's perspective and how much he desires us to demonstrate that agape between each other in order to maintain the unity in the body of Christ. First of all, let me show you the opposite. Because when we don't keep the unity in the body of Christ, what can happen is we'll see a spiritual demise in a believer, the destruction of a local assembly, a roadblock to the unsaved coming to faith, and ultimately, besides all those, it will make a mockery of our Lord's name. And we don't want to see that happen. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. As a matter of fact, why don't you turn there? Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. I think this is pretty powerful. There are six. Things the Lord hates. Hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes of pride. You want to see division in the church? Look for pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies and ready. A person who stirs up conflict within the church. God hates us to stir up conflict with each other because it can do immeasurable damage it can destroy the walk of an individual it can destroy a local fellowship and it can bring it can uh, the unsaved certainly will not say huh and you guys call yourselves christians and we're fighting amongst each other and it's going to make a mockery of the lord's name he hates when we stir up dissension amongst each other and we're you know what we well, all have to watch this this is the most dangerous part of that La boca. See? Yeah, the mouth. All right, listen to, instead, instead, listen to Psalm 133.1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In unity. Amen? And it goes back. If we look to the interests of others, and we're not always looking to please ourselves, and we work for the edification of others. We help to maintain unity in the body of Christ. And look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, ready? But that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, when he talks about this, it's really going back to the Scriptures, that we believe what the Scriptures teach. Be united on that. And watch the effect. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. How? Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing. There's that verb again. With one another. Ready? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All throughout the scriptures, God talks about unity within the body. And if we look to please others, if we look to demonstrate that agape love, and I'm not talking about in areas of sinful, but look to really keep the unity in the body, that's what pleases the Lord. Amen? And lastly, let me use these words in, in the Lord's high priestly parent, John 17. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, talking about believers, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so ready they may be as one as we are one. Now, you have to do a word study on that word one between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the word ikad, which means a union. So, that same union we see in the Godhead is what the Lord desires in the body of Christ. Are we all different? Absolutely. Go read 1 Corinthians 12. If the ear should say to the eye, parts of the body. We all have different functions within the body, but we work together in unison for the health and growth of the body. Amen? What ha- And I brought this out. You get a stomach ache and everything stops. You oh, get a migraine. Forget it. I'm done. And the body doesn't function. Right? So we want the body to be healthy, working together as one in unity. And that's what God desires of us. And so now Paul continues in chapter 15 to stress the importance of this unity within the body of Christ, accepting and bearing each other's weaknesses, as well as, look, we all come in with baggage, don't we? We all come in with idiosyncrasies, some cultural differences, and we are all at different levels of spiritual maturity, are we not? Yes? All right? But barring these differences, and again, we're not talking about anything sinful, immoral, or or unbiblical, we're to be as one, ikad, in unison, working together striated muscle is muscle but it's different there's smooth muscle in the stomach right doc and then there's uh striated smooth and cardiac one in the heart all different kinds of muscle group but they work together to make the body work amen a little biology there all right now let's look at verse 7 of romans 15 It says, accept like, one another then just as christ accepted you in order to bring praise to god and so this verse focuses on accepting one another just as Christ accepted each one of us, and in doing so, it brings glory and honor to God as we demonstrate that same kind of love for each other that God demonstrated for us. And I put this down. Isn't it interesting, guys, this was an aside, that now when you have children and you go out into public and they behave and do the right thing and say, yes, ma'am, no, thank you, isn't it a reflection of the parent, right? And we're like, please, this punch, like, yay, they're actually listening. They're doing the right thing. So just think, when we go out and we emulate Jesus Christ, it's bringing glory and honor to the Father when people see those Christ-like qualities in us and say, what makes you different? It wasn't, you know, Dr. Spock's book or this or that. I'm a Christian, and I follow Christ, and I put the biblical principles of the Bible... To apply in my life and people see that difference so we're like glorifying our father by emulating christ amen and so we're called to accept one another as jesus christ accepted each one of us and this word accept in the greek is pros lambano, and it does not mean just to tolerate someone it means to ca- uh ca- carries the connotation of receiving someone with a special concern for them so it doesn't mean we just tolerate each other we look to each other and have a special concern one for another. When you see somebody hurting, it doesn't matter if you hang out with them or they're part of your inner circle in the church, if you will. You go to them if you see that they're in pain or if they're in need. Sister Aurora, her daughter's going to be leaving Tuesday or going back to work. We, as the body of Christ, I'll stay in touch with her. If there is a need to provide for her or that she wants a house cleaned or something, can we step up? She's our sister. Sister Judy's coming home Tuesday, so we have to see how we can help the Quinn family. I told Judy, I'll go over there and do my sermon at her kitchen table, and at least I, you know, I'll be there if she needs something. It doesn't matter, but that's how we minister one to another. And it doesn't, and we don't have to walk in the church and say, hey, guess what I did this week. God doesn't want that. We just do it as unto the Lord and in our hearts. Amen? Amen? I want to commend you, Jane. And I'm sorry Jane takes care of how old is Harlan? Eighty-four, but goes there and ministers to this man and, and meets his needs, and she has multiple needs. But yet... All right, well, praise God. Will you just keep ministering to him, amen? Praise the Lord. But that's what we talk about, where we minister one to another. Okay, all right, a wonderful illustration. Oh, yeah, in, in Scripture, on accepting one another. Anybody remember, read Philemon, the story of Onesimus? Onesimus is a slave. He runs away from Philemon, who's a Christian, right? But he meets Paul. Onesimus meets Philemon, no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Turn with me to Philemon. And I put up there chapter one, because it's, it's only one chapter. So I didn't know how to do it. But, you know, ph- go to Philemon. What chapter? Chapter one. verse 14 to 17. But look at this. It says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me and even dear to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner Welcome or accept him as you would welcome or accept me. He's saying, overlook that he ran away. He's coming back to you as a brother in Christ. Welcome him and accept him back into your household. Will you still be the man in charge? Yes. Will he still be your work? Yes. But accept him back. No beatings, no whatever that go on when a slave ran away could end up in death. Welcome him back. Accept him. And that's what the picture for us. Accept each other as Christ accepts us. Amen? Family, in this present tense uh, text in Romans, Paul is calling on all who claim to be in Christ Jesus to accept each other to the fullest and deepest sense with that pros lambano, deepest concern, and they treat each other with agape love. Family, look, he came for the broken. He came for the downtrodden, the weak and fragile, the poor in spirit, the sinful. Jesus himself said this, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And as we come to the cross of Christ and put our faith in his redemptive work, he accepts us, pros slambano and does not turn us away. And if he didn't show partiality towards us, should we show partiality towards each other? I think not. I love the words of James 2, 1 to 4, and then 8 to 9. Listen to what it says, and just let it sit there for a while. My brothers, as believers in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor at my feet, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Then listen to verse 8. If you really keep the loyal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. And that's what he wants. We all come from different backgrounds. We all dress differently. My daughter called me a homeless man yesterday as I had my long John, You look like a homeless man, Dad. All right. But that's how we dress. Uh, back in the day (laughs) but I'm saying whoever people come in look guys Donna's laughing if someone comes in in shoddy clothes and sits in the back don't shun them go over and love on them they need may need Christ right if someone comes in and I'm sorry if they smell a little like skunk which is what marijuana smells like today or a little like alcohol and it's their first time here are we going to shun them or are we going to love on them so we can bring them to Christ? Hmm? Amen? That's the kind of love we need to show one for another. And I do like my long johns with my shorts over them. All right. <laughs> it is scary. Joe saw me one day. He goes, you're frightening looking. Look, and though we're converted, we're new creations in Christ. We still carry baggage and residual effects of the flesh. But as we mature in him, We wrestle to become more and more like him. He continually accepts us, doesn't he? As we try to spiritually mature, he doesn't turn our back on us if we stumble or struggle with a weakness. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, right? But he'll walk with us and stick closer than a brother. So we mature in our sanctified life. He doesn't abandon us or shun us, but he helps us in our weakness through the power of the Spirit. And shouldn't we do the same for one another. If somebody's struggling, and I love what you guys are doing in the men's group, I hear it, someone struggles, they rally around them, there's a sealed team to help build them up, they encourage them with scripture, and they're there for each other. And we should be there for each other as we grow in Christ. Listen to Ephesians 4.32 to 5.2. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you, Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of Agape, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Read the epistles. Now enforce this whole teaching. Paul goes on to give us some biblical examples and references in Romans uh, fifteen eight to twelve. Let's read it together. Romans fifteen, eight to twelve. And this is how we're going to finish up this morning. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jew on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you amongst the Gentiles. I will sing the praise of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. that all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up One who will rise and rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Family, there are a couple of things that we can glean from these portions of Scripture. First of all, Jesus was a Jew. He's from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, David, and so on. Read Matthew 1. Read the lineage. And that's important because... In doing so, the Son of God clothed himself in flesh and fulfilled the promise to Abraham that from his seed would come the one through whom all nations would be blessed. It was fulfilled in Christ. What he's doing here is saying the truth of God's word. God's word is true and will come true. Everything that it says will happen. And that should be a blessing for us today. We are forgiven. Our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are justified before him, yes? We have the hope of heaven. The rapture will take place. If When God says it, it will happen. So when God said there'll be one that comes, a seed from you, Abraham, Jesus comes and says, look, the word is true. And we should stand on that, that every promise of God is yes and amen. That every jot and tittle of his word is exactly true. The second point to be gleaned here is what the Jews failed to do, Christ did. They were supposed to be example to the nations and reveal who the great I am is, Jehovah God is. But they fell short. But Jesus fulfilled in his earthly ministry. Listen to Isaiah 42.6. I am the Lord. I called you to righteousness. I will also hold you by the, by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and a light to the nations. He's speaking of the Christ. Isaiah 49.6, God says this, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And remember, that's repeated by Simeon when he's in the temple holding the Christ child. I can now go in peace. I have seen the Messiah, and he will be not only the fulfillment for the Jews, but he'll be a light to the Gentiles, so all nations will be blessed through him. All who will believe the promise was fulfilled. And church, through the life, death, and resurrection of the sinner son of God, both groups Jew and Gentile have the same hope. They can put their faith in him, be saved, and have eternal life. It's faith in him alone. Amen. Family, the gospel is for all people and can only be received by faith in Christ, not by heritage. Not all Israel will be Israel. Not by affiliation with any religion. Not by religious ritual or good work, but only by faith in the redemptive work of Christ. Amen? Therefore, there's no room for bias, prejudice, or division because we are all in Christ and there only because of his grace and his mercy. Amen? So whatever we bring to the table, whatever background we come from, we owe it to accept each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not talking about anything sinful because if there's something sinful, it must be dealt with as an individual or as a church. Amen? And with all this talk of unity and acceptance, Paul now leaves off in 13 with a wonderful benediction. Look at it again. May the God of hope And I'm going to stop here for a moment. That hope means assured expectation. It's going to happen. What he says will be fulfilled. All right? It goes on. Oop, I lost my place. Got you. And the result, listen to the end. The result of our hope, if you will, is this. He will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with Hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christian, we are spirit-filled. We can truly experience the fruit of the Spirit. We can have joy in any circumstance or situation. Right, Sister Aurora? Because we know the palm of his hand. Do we know why we're going through this? We may not know why till we get on the other side. But we can have the joy that we know God is with us. Amen? Amen? And it says... We can have true peace we have a peace with God we're no longer enemies of the omnipotent omniscient omnipresent God we're his children and we can have peace with him not only that the peace of God in every situation it's a peace that passes all understanding and as instruments we're talking about we can have peace with each other and peace with other human beings as we let the fruit of the spirit come out as we interact with others and we don't respond in pride and arrogance and violence and agitation and unkind words and we're all working on it Lord help me amen and we trust in the one in whom our hope is secure do you know that hope do you realize you have eternal life right now that we're seated in heavenly places with him right now and I said it That rapture is going to happen. We're going to end up in glory and be with him forever and we're going to be with each other. So get it right now because we're going to spend eternity with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Maron. And family, with that said, let me conclude with these brief teaching points that we've already elaborated on. That in Christ, we're to accept each other, love each other, despite our differences on particulars that are not clarified in scriptures. But things like dietary issues, Observance is a different day that Paul spoke of. Deal with me, i got OCD and germophobia. I'm sorry, I do. All right? We're to accept each other, love each other, despite the varying levels of spiritual maturity. And we're to accept each other, love each other, despite our backgrounds, whether Jew or Gentile, good sinner, bad sinner, whatever the backgrounds were, we leave them at the cross and we go on as one. Amen? And as doing so, three things, uh, four things will happen. We'll maintain unity within the body of Christ which the Lord is pleased with. We'll continue the process of edifying each other and building each other up, discipling each other, which the Lord is pleased with. right? We'll be a witness to the unsaved as they see the love we have one for another, which God was pleased with. And more than anything, we bring glory and honor to him. This is what we've created for, which God is pleased with. Amen? So my prayer for each one of us is to look at these principles and put them into practice. And I pray that they don't just fall on deaf ears. And together as we walk in unity, let us rejoice together in hope, the joy, the peace we have with God and with each other because of who we are in Christ Jesus and what we have to look forward to. Don't let it just fall on deaf ears. Take it to heart. Let's accept each other as Christ accepted us. Love each other as Christ accepted us. Amen and walk together. I played this song once before, but I just think it was such a wonderful way to end this sermon. So if we can kill the lights, play the song, and we'll end in prayer. Amen? I'm going to ask my beautiful bride to come up here and hold my hand. Yay!
1: Sometimes For me to understand why we walk away from each other so easily Even though we're all walking the same road Yet we build dividing walls between our roads
0: hallelujah hallelujah praise the lord thank you lord brothers and sisters in christ we can turn the world upside down if we work together to reach the lost amen minor differences idiosyncrasies will be useless let us pray father god we thank you we thank you lord that while we were still sinners you died for us that lord god we've been adopted into your family as sons and daughters And, Lord God, you desire unity amongst us. You accepted us in all the backgrounds and areas of life as enemies, Lord. Oh, as rebellious sinners, Lord God, as we came to faith in you, you accepted us into your glorious kingdom, into you, Lord God. And we just praise you this morning. And, Father God, my prayer, not only for this local assembly, but for the body of Christ, believers who truly believe the absolute truth of your word and live by it, my God, true born-again believers, my God, that you would unify us, that you would use us, my God, to do your work while you tarry, Lord, and help us to edify and build each other up to become more mature in our walk so that we would glorify you and win the lost. Father God, we pray that no spirit of division No spirit of disunity would ever enter this building, would ever enter this assembly that we would work out our differences in love and we would confront sin when there is sin, Lord God. But all to your glory and for the edification of the body. And Father God, we just thank you. We thank you that you haven't left us as orphans, but we are filled with your spirit that will lead us into all truth, that will help us to keep your word, that will help us develop the fruits of the spirit. And my God, again, we thank you for the fellowship we have one with another in you. One faith, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise God. Yes.